I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have you loved us? In a time where one man stands seemingly alone. We give God the change in our pockets, but keep the best for ourselves. We sit down to a bountiful feast, only to leave God the leftovers. worshiping uh, together in person this morning. Um, it is, uh, it's just good to go through God's word together. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to continue today in, in our study of Malachi. And, and, and as we begin what I would call the end game of Malachi, we're going to begin looking that'll bring us to the end of Malachi. And, and so it, we have been talking over this, this last uh few weeks about the priest and them not offering their best to God. And today we're going to talk about robbing God. And so we've been dancing around this topic. And today we're going to dive kind of headfirst into it because we remember the priests were offering the lame and the blemish. They were offering the, the not best of, of, of what was required of them. And not only were they saying that it was good enough for them, but by proxy, they were teaching the Israelites that, hey, this was acceptable. It was okay to just offer whatever you had on hand to God. God doesn't care. And so I got to thinking about legacy this week and the legacies that that we leave. And last week I got stuck on this, this or two weeks ago I got stuck on this verse from Malachi. And it's the verse back where he's, he's commanding the priest. He says, oh, that I wish you would just shut the doors. Just shut the doors of the church lest my flame be kindled upon this altar. And the more and more I think about that, the more and more I, I, I just can't get away from it. Because as someone who has been called by God to teach the Word of God, my biggest fear has always been mishandling the Word of God. Even as a youth pastor or, or layman or whatever, my biggest fear is mishandling the Word of God. L- listen, you can put me in a haunted house all day long. You can have jump scares, all that. That, that does not terrify me nearly as much as mishandling the Word of God does. And I got to thinking about what our legacy is and how people view me and hear me out on this. How will I be remembered? I remember when I, when we moved to Oklahoma, uh, we had the misfortune of coming into town the same day at one of the very prominent teenagers in town was in a bad car accident. And so uh, I had no idea who this kid was, but as a local youth pastor, I went to the funeral to show support for, for the teenagers. And I, what I remember of this funeral, what, what, what became very clear in this funeral was that this kid loved Jesus. This kid just was sold out for Jesus. His entire life was, was, was about Jesus. And so I hope my funeral's that way. I hope when the the Lord calls me home that my funeral is a celebration of how much I love Jesus. That's 
That's the legacy that I want to leave behind. And we're going to see the difference, I think, in what the priest's mindset is on that. And uh, so if you have your books, uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6. If you have found it and you are able, would you just stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word this morning? Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God's word says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have not turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring your full tithe into the storehouse, that it may be food in my house. And thereby put, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you do, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and for you and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear fruits says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight. says the Lord of hosts, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to gather today. And Lord, I just pray that, Father, as we dive into this passage today, that, Lord, you will open our hearts and our minds to just receive the message of what you have. Father, take me, hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray that, God, what is heard today might be what you speak. And Lord, I just pray that, Father, right now you are working in the lives of the congregation here and, Father, all that are online. Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, you might speak a mighty word, do a mighty move. God, you might do something today. That just lights a fire in our hearts. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When you think of the word evangelism, there's one word, there's one name that I think that many of us begin to think about. A man for which through media would equate to Christianity in and of itself a name that would automatically link you to a belief in God. Born November 7, 1918, William Franklin Graham Jr. was born, or as he was better known as Billy Graham. While Graham's parents were very strict Calvinists, it would be an unfamiliar traveling evangelist who would begin to preach what Graham would resonate with his soul. And after attending a series of revival meetings run by Mordecai Ham, the, the evangelist, Graham gave his heart to the Lord. Graham was never a terrible child. He was never a, a hell raiser, as we would say. But he, 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 the, he began to see the sin in his life. And he would give his heart to Christ. And, and he, God would begin to use him in a mighty way. And it didn't take long for people to identify with Graham's very heartfelt gospel sermons. In fact, in 1949, a group called the Christ for Greater Los Angeles invited Graham to preach at their L.A. revival. 
when a radio personality by the name of Stuart Hamblin had Graham on his radio, the word of revival spread. The publicity filled Graham's tents with the and they extended the revival for an additional five weeks of revival. At the urging of the newspaper, uh, William Randolph Hearst papers uh, began to, to go around this nation covering this revival meetings of this little known evangelist that had come to preach in, in California. As a consequence, Graham became what we would consider a Christian superstar. Because of what the world was dealing with post-World War II, Graham spoke out against the evils of communism. One of the greatest fears that was threatening the American consciousness at this time. And in, in 1954, in an interview, Graham stated either communism must die or Christianity must die because it is actually a battle between Christ and the Antichrist. Thus, he became synonymous with Christianity. Billy Graham helped to stitch together a broken nation through revival. Now understand this, it, when, when we think of Christianity, when we think of Billy Graham, Many people began end with Billy Graham, but Graham spent his entire life pointing us to somebody else. Graham didn't point himself to himself. He pointed people to Jesus. Church, you've heard me say this many times. I don't think our generation will be given another Billy Graham. Because quite frankly, I think it's our turn. I think it's time for the local church to become the local church. I think it's our responsibility. I think the next revival that's going to come out of this nation will come and begin right here in these pews. It will begin with us. And I know God's going to get us there. So today we're going to talk about not robbing God. Because if we rob God, we can't get there. If we steal the attention for ourselves. If anything that we do points people to Licking River and not to Jesus, then we have failed in our mission. Look with me in verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord... Do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. This, is, this, this verse is split into two parts, and I love this first part. For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, I don't know about you, but I like routine. I, I, I get in a routine. Does anybody ever, ever get in a, like a routine? You have a routine that you go through in the morning, right? You wake up, maybe you, you, you eat breakfast, you shower, you drink coffee. Whatever your routine might be, most of us are, are creatures of habit. We don't just do things out of order for any sense of a reason. Now, I, I like to get in a routine, but God says here, He says, I do not change. Therefore, children, you are not, uh, Jacob, you are not consumed. God provides a semblance of stability in our lives. And honestly, through coronavirus, that's becoming more and more rare, right? A stability. We, we think that things change, things shift, things move, and it's becoming more rare to have the stability. You've had to learn online learning. You've had to begin teaching yourself on, 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 on many of these things. Teachers, your jobs have tripled uh, over the last several months because you're having to not only grade your, 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 your online stuff, but you're having to create online lesson plans. You're having to figure out technology. You're having to uh, go about contacting parents, contacting students. Your, your, your stability has just been ransacked. Kids' stability has just been ransacked. Everything around us, it feels like, has been ransacked and changed and constantly moving and changing. But here, the God that says, I am the Lord. Do not change. What wonderful words these are because God is 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. Think of how differently it would be if God changed. How one day things just were completely different. One of the last things I did in Nashville before I moved here was I helped to create a, a, a team of analysts that would run a program that was running in Europe. And I, would, and I created a team that would uh, run that program in America. And you know what it was like? We'd have everything figured out one day. And we'd come in the next morning, and you know what? Everything changed. Say, so, hey, remember how we told you guys you can't do it this way, you got to do it this way? I need you to go back to doing it the old way. Hey, by the way, with this new way that we're doing it isn't showing the reporting that we need to. I need you to go back to how we were doing it two weeks ago. Or hey, you know, we're going to try something new. We're going to try doing it this way. Every day, and this was our joke, every day was something different. Every day was something new. You had to be adjustable. You had to be flexible. God isn't that way. We don't just walk in and suddenly God has changed his mind on things because honestly, it would be impossible for us to keep up with. It would be impossible for us to keep up with. God's word doesn't change. God's word remains the same. This is what he has given us. This is why we have to be careful. God's scripture is in, a, in authority of itself. Man is not in command over the scriptures. God is in command of the scriptures. They don't change. Malachi says, for I, the Lord, do not change. And it's important because the second part says the children of Jacob are not consumed. The primary reason that Israel was not destroyed was because of God's faithfulness to Israel, his covenants with his nation. God does not change his mind concerning his people. Y'all, you've ever raised teenagers you might begin to have a semblance of what dealing with the Israelites were like. You might, you might begin to have an inkling of what dealing with the Israelites were like. Can you imagine God every single day? God, there's no food. God, there's no water in the house. God said, I provided you food yesterday. Would you, will not I do it again? But God, we were better off in Egypt. It's a good thing God doesn't change because just reading some of the Exodus just makes me angry. But God doesn't change. The reason that the children of Jacob were not consumed was because of God's faithfulness. Because of God's promise. Because of God's love for them. You know the number one question that agnostics ask is why does God not destroy evil? You ever pondered that question? If God is holy, if God is just, if God is ultimately the power, why does He not just destroy evil out of the world? The question is simple, because He'd have to destroy us. He'd have to destroy each and every single one of us because we are all evil. The truth is that because of His love, we are given a chance. Because of His covenant, we are given a chance you know, I'm excited for the coming of Christ. I'm, I, I, every day we draw closer. And I'm excited for that moment. And I hope, I hope we see it in my lifetime. But at the same time, I don't. 
Because right now, if Christ was to come back, there's so many that would not go. There's so many that would be left behind because they're good enough. They're good people. They're confused. They've been misled. They've been misinformed. They've been led astray. Folks, I'm excited for Christ coming back. Don't, don't hear me say I'm not. But I'm fearful of what our community will be impacted when that happens. Mm. I am the Lord. Do not change. Verse 7, for the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Beginning of this verse, he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from me. You have always turned aside from me, he's saying. You've always gone away from me. You've always found ways to turn away from me. And he says, return to me. This word here is the word subu. It's where we get our word repent from. There's so much more in this word than just turn to me. It's where we get to this word repent. It's God is calling them to a restored relationship with them. God is calling them to turn from what they're doing. Stop what they're doing. Turn around and go back to God. God is calling to restore a relationship. They had cheated on God, essentially. And by rights, God should have left. If we, if we put this in a human terms, if we, if we put this in ways of, of what we humans possibly understand, we can't understand why God stays. We say, God, you should have been done with them. You know, can you imagine if God had the same friends that Job had? God, curse them people and just let them die. Just let them go. You don't need them. You imagine that? But God had a love for them. He, he says, return to me this word repent. He says, I will return to you. God has never left us. God is still there. He's waiting for us. We have to return to Him. Verse 8. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? It says, in your tithes, and contributions. Will man rob God? Here, once again, we're talking about this idea of, of man shorting God what he deserves. But so often we say, but God, I earned this. God, I deserve this. God, I've worked hard for this. And I think about this in, the, in, in, in just like everything else in life. I, I think about this of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham wanted a son so desperately that he would commit adultery to get it. He wanted, a, he wanted a son so badly he would sin to get it. And what happens when he gets Isaac, right? Isaac grows up. He's had, he's had a few years to get to him. By the Scriptures, we see that Isaac's carrying heavy things, so I have to imagine he's old enough to carry some heavy equipment. So we're thinking probably 10 years at least. And God comes in and says, hey, Abraham, your son Isaac, whom you love, I want you to give him back to me. You know, I don't think I could have done it. I'm just going to be honest. I don't think I could have done it. You know, I think about that with Mary Ellen. I couldn't do it. Brittany and I prayed a long time before we had Mary Ellen. I don't think I could have done it. But you say, how have you robbed us? You know, the Israelites were very good at diverting blame. <laughs> we, 
We, we're always good at that, right? We, when something happens, we, we blame something else. They'll say, well, you know, it wasn't my fault. Uh, you know, Rondell, you mess up a, a server. You know, you miscalculate code or something. You, you mess up a server. Well, you know, it's just, it's just your server problem. It's just something else. Oh, yeah, we're good at that. The Israelites, once again, are diverting blame. Remember? God, if you, hadn't just, if you just hadn't given me the woman, I wouldn't have sinned. God, if only you would have fed us. God, if only you were here, my brother surely would not have died. We get good at that. He says this. He says, in your tithes and your contributions. Oh, church. <laughs> so Clay's preaching about tithing again. Hold on. <laughs> We hear, we, we, we hear this verse a lot. If you, if you go forward in 10, and we're going to step back here. If you go forward in 10, we hear this preach a lot. I lost 10. There it is. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We've heard this preached, right? God, if we give you your tithe, our tithes, you'll pay them back. God, if we just give you $20, God, you pay us back. God wants you to be wealthy. All you have to do is give him your money and he will bless you abundantly. We hear this all over. Church, he deserves your tithe. And I believe God blesses those who are faithful to him, not just in tithing, but in general. But I want you to see... That there's so many ways that I've heard this verse, but I want to study this linguistically. Many of you know I was an English major. I want you to study. Read, read verse nine with me. Read, read verse nine. It says, "You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring your full tithe into the storehouse, that it may be food in your house, and thereby put me to the test." I, the Lord, do not change. All right, we've got that. People have turned aside. God will return to him. I want you to see that tithing was not the point of this verse. It was the illustration in this verse. Tithing was the illustration that was used in this verse. God is speaking of tithings because of its importance. But its importance, the point of this verse is that God is faithful. Hear me say that again. God is faithful in theology. We call this doctrine the immutability. It means that being perfect, God cannot and does not change. He cannot and does not change. In order to change, we as, as, as moral human beings, we have to either do one of two things. We must either change for the better or change for the worse. So, Ergo, God being perfect, we've already established that it can't get better. So God would only have to get worse. God doesn't get worse with age. You know, the older I get, the more my mind begins to, to, to slip a little bit. I can't remember as much as I used to be able to. You know, I used to, when I was younger, somebody told me something. I have a photographic memory. It'd be locked in my brain. I told my parents once, I had a, my mind was like a steel trap. And they, my brother, quick as a wit. Yeah, nothing gets in and nothing gets out. The older I get, the less perfect I get. God is not that way. 
God cannot change because we believe in the immutability of God. God cannot get worse because in that case, He would become imperfect. If God became imperfect, then we have no purpose. We have no point. God cannot become imperfect. In fact, Malachi, whoops, Malachi 3.6 is a perfect excuse for His immutability. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. But our immediate response is that's not enough. So what, in what areas do we not change? God, you said you're sure you're, you don't change. God, how do you not change? We're just like the Israelites. We like to divert blame a little bit. We like to say, well, you know, if, if we, if you are perfect, how are you perfect? We have to understand God's immutability to fully understand his presence. The priests were not robbing, uh, just robbing God. They were robbing themselves of the blessings of God. In robbing God, the people were not fulfilling the covenant that they had made with the Lord. Therefore, God could not fulfill His promise to fulfill them. You ever thought about that? Now, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher near at all. In fact, if there could be like a negative number, that would be me. But God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. We find emphasis not on our tithing, not on his, his, his lack of abundance for us, but I want you to find emphasis on his grace and his mercy because he pays that out even though we don't deserve it. He pays out grace and he pays out mercy because we don't deserve it. In our lives, everything that we have, we are just like these priests. We are robbing God of all that we have. And we say, God, you know, if only you would have, have done this for me, God, I surely would have served you better. God, if only you hadn't done this in my life, God, surely I would have served you better. I would have done better. I would have understood better. But God, you know, it's your fault that I'm this way. Well, I've heard it all because I've said it all. But we have to find emphasis in His grace, in His mercy. And when we're seeing God's, God, God's amazing fulfillment coming out of these verse, God continually saved His people. Listen, Malachi was sent as a messenger to prepare, their, prepare the way for Jesus who would redeem them. We find emphasis on His immutability because we have to. Because guess what? A changing God would have changed everything. A changing God would have changed everything. Because if you deal with humanity long enough, you begin to see how God works in all of it. Look here in verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vines of the field shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I will destroy the devourer. Now this would have been understood. The Israelites would have understood this as like a locust or some kind of bug that would destroy their crops. But understand what God's meaning is in this. God will prune the vine. Continually, God prunes the vine. God works through His life. Through Jesus, those who follow are fruit producers. But those who aren't are, are, are rotten. Now they fall off. We show in our hearts what true plans can be. 
We show in our hearts what our true understandings can be. In psychology, you study this a lot. And what your true voice is. And what your true mindset is. I tease Brittany with this all the time. Because she has a habit of like slipping. And I say, well, that's what you were really feeling. That's the way you really feel. That's the way how you go through. It's called a Freudian slip. But verse 12 says, Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, said the Lord of hosts. God's promise was that He would establish the holy people to Himself just as He has sworn to us. If we walk in His ways, then all the people of the earth shall see them. They shall be called in the name of the Lord. God says they shall be afraid of you. God was reminding them that they had forgotten the blessing that God had for them. So often, God has put a blessing in our lives. And sometimes it gets stale. Sometimes, if we're honest, God just kind of gets stale in our lives. Look here, we've been given a promise that's so far beyond all of this. God was reminding them that that they had forgotten the Gentiles would come to Jerusalem and learn about this great and wonderful God who would take a group of refugees and just turn them into a nation. God began to work in all things. God did not change. When we say, God, how are we robbing Him? We are robbing Him by thinking to ourselves that we keep the best for ourselves and we give God our leftovers. When we think to ourselves, God, you know, I will eventually get to worshiping you. God, I'll eventually get to church. I promise eventually. God, I, I promise I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll help sometime. God, I, you know, eventually, you know, God, I've just I've got all this stuff to do. I've used this before. We have a ladder here and God just begins being knocked down and 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 knocked down until finally sometimes you can't even find him on our list anymore you can't even find god on our list of importance you say god say but the israelites say how have you robbed us and he says you have robbed us in your tithes and your contributions our bodies are living sacrifices god has put a calling on our lives and there are four parts of this final passage I want us to see. First off is that God called us to obedience. He called us to bring a whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He called us to obedience. Many of you heard me talk. When it comes to our tithing, it's not just our money. It's our offering of our bodies, our offering of our sacrifice, our offering of our times, our offering of our worship. Sometimes we might have to choose whether we watch Extreme Makeover Home Edition or whether we read our Bibles. I don't even know if that show's still on. Sometimes we have to make a choice. But God calls us first to obedience. He says, bring it into my house so that there may be food. Do you ever think if nobody's moving, if nobody's following God, if nobody's doing the work of God, How are the people of God seeing God? Of course, God is everywhere. 
But God uses us. Second, God issues a challenge. He says, test me in this. He says, test me in this. He says, bring all of this in. And then he says, test me on this. Now we know that Jesus tells us to shall not test the Lord our God. This is a different kind of test. In fact, the word here is, is more of a, of a put faith in. We have to test God in, the, in that we put our faith in what He says to be true. Third, God accompanies His call with a challenge and a promise. He says, see that if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough basically to store it. He says, he says here in the last part, I will, do, I will destroy the devourer so that nobody can destroy what is given. You know, we talk about this prosperity gospel. I want you to see that God's blessings are so far beyond monetarily. The moment that you sit with somebody and you watch, those of you that have ever worked with children know this, the moment that you just sit there and you watch that light bulb, just they get it. They know who God is. They know that God died for them. They know that God loves them. That moment, are you not just pumped? Is that not just worth all of it? that moment God's blessing comes upon your life for being obedient to him and finally God speaks over the ultimate result so that people will know who you are church we are given an opportunity to be known the question is is how are we going to be known are we going to be known as Licking River Baptist Church just that church over there by the river they don't really do much nothing they just kind of gather and go and are we going to be known as yeah Licking River Baptist they they're crazy over there they love Jesus you've ever been in there they're so excited about Jesus man I thought this Jesus guy was dead but they're worshiping him like he's alive that's the kind of church I want to be I want to be the church where people think about us they think about how much we love Jesus hmm I love it, church. Are you bold enough to accept that challenge personally in your lives? Because God is calling for obedience. He issues that challenge. Put your faith in me. Know that this is true. And He gives us the ultimate blessing because of it. Maybe you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here and, and, and you, don't say, you say, Clay, that's good, but you know, I thought this whole Jesus guy was dead. Didn't he die? Till the third day, he raised from the deray, left the tomb, appeared to thousands, told his disciples to go, to go. Mm. Maybe you're here today, and I can assure you that you're just you're you're searching, you're looking, you're under. You say, you know, this Jesus guy sounds great, but what, what does he do? He gives you eternity. All of the sins that you've ever done, the worst you've ever been in your life, he says, you are worthy. You are worth it to me. And he hung on that cross and died for you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Clay, I've been a Christian for several years and honestly, you know, I, just, I, don't, I don't know, Clay. This whole, 
all-in thing just sounds too radical. Jesus was a radical. He was so much a radical, people wanted to kill him for it. (laughs) Maybe you're here today and God is working in your lives. Whatever decision that might be, if God is moving in your hearts, whatever that decision might be, I want to know about it. I'll be down here in front. We're in a moment. We're going to have a time of invitation. And this is your time to speak with God. This is nothing about what Clay is up there standing and, and, and jiggling back and forth or whatever Clay is doing. This is the time between you and God. And I want to pray that if God is speaking to your lives, if He's calling you to salvation, just say, ah, you know, God, I, I need to just let you just take over. If He's calling you to, to just re, recenter yourself on Him. Say, God, man, you haven't been my most important thing, but I'm ready to make that happen. Maybe you're here today and God's just working in your heart. Maybe you need to, maybe God's just put a calling into ministry or missions on your heart. Whatever that might be, I want to know about it. I'm going to pray for us. My prayer is that if God is working in your hearts, you answer. Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to just gather today. Father, Lord, right now, I just pray that, God, you will just show us what you have in store for us. Father, look beyond all the distractions of life. God, I pray that right now, just in the next few moments, that people are speaking to you. People are hearing you. So, Lord, right now, God, I pray that you're speaking and I pray that we're listening. In Jesus' name.